Welcome to Mature in Every Way, a study of James. I'm Renee Adelsberger. We're going to walk through this book verse by verse. For more from me, visit pedestriangod.com. Let's get started. Welcome to chapter two of James. James now jumps over to the topic of favoritism. He has reminded us to take care of the poorest in the world, the widows and the orphans. But at the same time, we are not to elevate the richest of society to a special celebrity-like status. Favoritism is the practice of giving unfair preferential treatment to one person or group at the expense of another. Synonyms of favoritism are inequality, unfairness, and discrimination. I think that discrimination is probably the best synonym to use to help us understand the concept of favoritism. It's not like the time your brother got a gift and you didn't. Favoritism is more like your parents took your gift away from you and then gave it to your brother instead. The example James uses in verses 2 to 4 is very easy to understand. Two people walk into a church service. One pulls into the parking lot in a Corvette. He's wearing name brand clothes and using the latest technology. Another walks in wearing dirty tennis shoes and worn clothes. You hop up. Usher the one wearing brand name clothes to the front. Introduce him to the pastor and help him find a comfortable seat. As you walk back to your own seat, you order that poor person to stand in the very back against the wall. In the words of James, you have just become a judge with evil thoughts. When we show favoritism, we are not properly caring for others or keeping ourselves unstained from the world. Favoritism flies against the grace of God. Jesus came to this world to die for all of us, rich and poor alike. And it is to the poor in the world that God chose to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom he has promised to those who love him. Does that mean that the rich cannot be saved? No, that's absolutely not what it means. Don't skim over the last words in that sentence, to those who love him. Often it's easier for the poor to love God and rely on him daily because they cannot rely on their own achievements or bank accounts. When Jesus was on the earth, he picked mostly fishermen and a tax collector to be his closest followers. God entrusted his son to Mary and Joseph, a regular carpenter, and announced his birth to shepherds. Don't get discouraged if you're reading this and you're, and you're one of those rich people or your parents are. Just know that private schools, name brand clothes, and technological gadgets won't get you into heaven. It might be easier for you to throw your nose in the air and snub those poor people or ignore them altogether. But let's all heed James' warning, because we're all prone to treat people differently based solely on their appearance. I realize how ridiculous this might sound. But oftentimes, when I know I'm returning an item to a store, I intentionally dress nicer that day. I don't go all out, but I probably shed my hoodie and put on a sweater and slacks. Because I want to be treated a certain way, and I feel like I'm often treated better when I'm shopping when I look put together. And I feel like I get hassled less when I don't have a receipt, if I look like I'm put together at least. In my culture and time, there are definitely rich people, but they don't dominate my daily life like these mentioned by James. In James' day, these rich people, the very ones that believers were giving seats of honor to, 
were the same ones dragging them to court and blaspheming the name of Jesus. To blaspheme means to give credit to someone or something else when it was a work by the Holy Spirit. Instead of praising God for what God had done, they took the credit as if they themselves had accomplished something. Or they denied God and Jesus altogether. This means the believers were treating their oppressors better than they were treating fellow believers. In fact, they began to oppress internally amongst themselves as well. The unbelievers succeeded in turning believers against each other. James invokes the, quote, royal law to discuss the matter of favoritism. It can be found as early as Leviticus 19.18, and Jesus himself says the words royal law in Matthew 22.39. Favoritism wouldn't even be a problem if the believers were loving their neighbors as themselves. We previously asked ourselves this question. How would you feel if every word you said the day before was published for everyone to read? Well, what if every interaction you had with a person was replayed on video the next week? Or what if it was replayed in real life, except your roles were reversed? So when your parents asked you a question and you spoke to them harshly and stormed off, what if the next time you asked them a question, they respond to you in that same way? Or you pass someone in the hall and decide to shove them with your shoulder as you walk past? What if people began to do that to you every time you walk past them? Or your friend confided in you, but you turned around and shared it with other people or Snapchatted about them? I bet you wouldn't like it very much if they did it to you. Neither would I. Without Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we are all stuck under the Old Testament law. The Old Testament lists hundreds of laws, all of which we must obey 100% perfectly in order to gain salvation. Mess up. Refer to the law to make a sin offering. Keep 632 of 633 laws? Sorry, that is not 100% perfect. Go directly to hell, a place separated from the presence of God. That is the idea of the law. So James here isn't making a specific point about adultery or murder. He's simply picking two of the Ten Commandments and explaining that we no longer live under the law. Rather, we are New Testament believers living under the law of freedom. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, we are free from our sins and evil desires. We are free to live a life for His glory and praise. Verse 13 would make for a good memory verse. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If you do not practice showing mercy to others, mercy will not be shown to you. Mercy is receiving forgiveness when we should have received punishment. When we see Jesus face to face, our sins will still be in our past. But rather than be punished for them, the Lord will see our faith in Him and show mercy to us. We're not to snub these lowly sinners that surround us, but rather we are to speak and act in a manner that shows that we too have been forgiven of our sins. This is a lesson the Pharisees forgot in Luke 7, 36-50. They wanted Jesus to send the woman, who was well known in the town for her sins, away. How dare he allow her to touch him? 
But Jesus reminds them that she has been forgiven of much, so she loves much. The Pharisees did not realize how much they, too, had need for forgiveness. Rather, they were concerned that their holy behavior made them superior to everyone else. Don't be like a Pharisee. Don't cast judgment on people who have, quote, bigger sin than you. But instead, rejoice in his presence, fall down at his dirty feet and weep over your sin. Ugly cry so hard that you can wash his feet with your tears. Bring your most valuable and treasured possessions and submit them to his will. Worship him lavishly, praise him continually, and live in awe of the constant remembrance that he would love a sinner like you and me. Father, please break our hearts over the sin in our lives. Show us how to live in light of your death for us. Help us show love to the people around us instead of favoritism. Thank you for your mercy. We love you. Amen.